the new skills that they can learn and apply towards their main business when they start something new. I've learned Dude. so much. <laughs> I've learned so much about being an entrepreneur in general, the skills that I've learned starting other businesses have helped me just spur my real estate business. I'm a former athlete, small business owner, and serial entrepreneur. The goal of the podcast is to help entrepreneurs grow your network, scale your business, and improve your life. Each week, I'm going to highlight ordinary people in our communities who do extraordinary things. Hello, hello, and welcome back to R&D with KD. I am your host, Khalil Dillard. Today, I'm joined with Kate Barrett and Scott Farrow. They are both real estate professionals, investors, and hosts of the Pursuit of Property podcast, where they help young entrepreneurs on their pursuit of property through buying, selling, and investing in real estate. I'm sorry. It's a mouthful. <laughs> yes. Before we jump in, a little bit about Kate and Scott. I've known them both for about three to four years. We began our careers in real estate around the same time at Keller Williams. Um, I've seen these two grow within their careers, and it has been an absolute honor to be to grow alongside them as well. So thank you both for joining us today and coming on to share uh, to share your experiences. Thank you, guys. No, thank you for having us, man. Thank you. I didn't realize how long it has been. But it, it's been what, <laughs> like a good four years. It's been a good four years. I started my real estate career in like 2019, I mm -hmm. believe, yeah. around 2019, fresh to Fresno, new, just started at Fresno City College, just got my real estate license. I remember coming into that KW office and I'm thinking like, I need to be around people or I need to find the young guys. Like where are the young yeah. hungry guys? And then I see these two guys in an office, I forget who you guys were working with at the time, but you guys are all in there grinding and plugging away. And when I seen that, I was like, damn, these two are gonna be killers. You know, <laughs> I, I'm competing with killers in the office. But I, knowing you guys and being able to be around you guys and to see how far you guys have grown within your, your own careers has definitely inspired me to, to continue moving forward in my real estate career. So thank you both for setting a great example. Oh, no, shoot. dude, it's a, it's a two-way street, dude. We feel the same way looking at you with all the stuff you're doing, buying up businesses, selling businesses. Like, it's good to feed off each other's energy like that, dude. So, like you said, searching out younger people with energy, hungry in the office, it was, it was definitely good. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And you guys have both done some amazing things throughout your real estate careers. I know you guys are both investing in, uh, investing in homes and in, uh, in other states as well. We'll dive into that deeper a little bit later. But uh, starting off, uh, Scott, what's something that we should be talking about that most people aren't at the moment? Oh, shoot. I don't know. I Depends on who you ask. Mm -hmm. if, if you're talking about like people our age and like in business, it's probably mental health and Absolutely. just the general demeanor of the conversations change. And I think a lot of people um, right now, they're focused too much on things they can't control and they mm -hmm. need to focus more on, you know, like what they can control, like, which is their mindset, their business, what they're doing day to day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I hear that you two both kind of feed off of each other a ton when it comes to the day to day routines that you guys and the expectations that you guys set for each other. Uh, when I heard that you guys have both been showing up at the office, is it, is it eight o'clock or earlier for about uh, over a year or longer? There's a period um, over a year where it was 6.30 on the dot. Like we're in the office yeah. and if you're not, we're gonna we're gonna fucking give each other shit. That was the expectation for a good period of time. Now it's about eight o'clock, but there was a period of time where it was 6.30 on the dot, we're in here and we're, we're gonna hustle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, we treat our morning super religiously. So mm -hmm. like you said, I mean, 
it helps having the accountability partner. Yeah. Now, how long have you guys known each other for or been working together for? Um, well, we joke now that we're like basically married because <laughs> how much stuff we do together. But uh, Kate joined the team 2019, we'll right? Yeah, 2019. Yeah. So we've been working together since then. We've been business partners since uh, about summer of 2020. Nice. And before you guys were business partners, how did you guys know like when it was time to take that transition from maybe working together to like, hey, man, I see I see us being good partners. Dude, from the start, I mean, we've got two pretty stark different personalities and the way we run things, our strengths and our weaknesses are kind of polar opposites of each other. And, you know, through working, you know, starting in 2019 until like Scott had mentioned, like summer of 2020, it was very easy to catch on like, dude, Scott's really, really good at this. It's a weakness of K's, but K's really, really good at this. And it's a weakness of Scott's. And that's why I think, you know, we connected so well over that period of time. And then, um, you know, we were like, look, we had read a book called Rocket Fuel, mm -hmm. which was really, really instrumental for us and a book that we've done a review on. And we recommend everybody looking to get into business mm -hmm. with a business partner. Um, and that reaffirmed, it was like, dude, Scott's the heavy visionary, Cade's the heavy integrator. You know, we've been working together and, you know, in the same environment, mm -hmm. some sort of capacity for this long. We've got a shared joint goal of mm -hmm. buying real estate and doing cool shit. So let's try it out. Absolutely. <laughs> and we did. So, yeah. Absolutely. Now, Scott, can you explain some of the nature of uh, the business that you guys do together? What has that looked like? Some of, some of the things that you guys may be in buying or investing in together as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, so it's kind of funny. A lot of people think that we run like a, a joined business because that's how most business partners operate. Um, but we run two separate um, businesses. Mm. Uh, Cade has his company uh, for buying and selling real estate for other people and investing for himself. And I have my own company. Mm. They're named after our last name. So Barrett Real Estate and Farrow Real Estate. But then in 2020, we came together and we, we made Early Bird Investments, mm -hmm. which is our portfolio company that holds single family homes. So we bought some single family properties in Indiana mm -hmm. where we had friends purchasing stuff. We had a property manager we already knew. Um, and we got started there. That's when we really formally partnered up and became business partners financially. Absolutely. So what what, had, what was the experience like for you both uh, investing in real estate out of the state uh, so early on? Like, what was that experience like for you both? I'll speak on my behalf. I was scared <laughs> as shit. Um, I'm still, I mean, at that point, I am a second year college student. I'm still a full-time college student um, doing real estate on the side. We we jump in with both feet and buy these properties without ever going to see them. We bought nine houses in two weeks nine. in a state that neither of us had ever been to. <laughs> had ever been to. We'd never seen them in person. So I summed it up. I was scared shitless, but also super, super excited. There's, Absolutely. There's a story that I think kind of emulates how we felt. We had just gotten our home inspection report back on the first four houses we were buying. And... We, Kate and I were standing in the conference room or the, the meeting room in Keller Williams. I think you remember that. Mm -hmm. So we were standing there reviewing the four home inspections we had just paid for, knowing we were about to take out 125000 in debt when neither of us had even made 125000 before. <laughs> and we were standing there and 
we had fully convinced ourselves that we were going to cancel because we were so freaked out that we were making a mistake. And we called our mentor who was actually mm-hmm. lending us the money. He was the private lender who was like, I'm going to put my faith in mm-hmm. these idiots. <laughs> and we had called him. We said, dude, we're going to cancel. Like, it, this is scary. And he literally was like, you need to shut up and nut up and buy these things. Absolutely. I wouldn't give you the money if I didn't think this Absolutely. was a good purchase. And so we had like a big shove from like the guys that were already mm-hmm. doing what we wanted to do. But I think we were both scared to death. Yeah, yeah and, and rightfully so. But I just wanted to point out is I'm so glad that there are people out there that are looking out for young entrepreneurs who are trying to make something happen for themselves. The fact that you guys had people, resources that you can go to, reach out to, who then reassured you guys to content, to to keep you guys moving yeah. on the right path is is powerful, and I do believe we need more people like that. But that's awesome that you guys are able to to, to pull that off. You guys still own the properties down in Indiana? Yeah, we own seven, seven? of them still. Awesome. Yes, sold off a couple, but um, we've held on to over awesome. over half of them. So <laughs> we've made it a point that every house that we sold, because that's exactly against what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Every house that we've sold, it had to be because we were learning something. And so Mm -hmm. like we had one house we sold and it it was a great learning lesson that you need to do inspections before you buy. And that was what we learned from it. Mm -hmm. We had another where uh, we were learning about um, essentially you have to know exactly what's going on with the property uh, with the tenants before you buy something, you know, don't inherit yeah. tenants unless you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. If you see red flags, you know, be it's a red flag, yeah. you know, Absolutely. but other houses I think have all gone great. And, uh, you know, you have your ups and downs, but, um, lots of learning and, and, you know, a lot of expensive <laughs> learning experiences, yeah. but very well uh, learning experiences nonetheless. Absolutely. And Kate, I, I wanted to point out, you said that you were a, a second year college student with a full time job, still managing all of this. So there's a lot of there, there was a lot of stuff on your plate at that time. But the fact that you're in college, still making those stuff happen. How did how did what you were doing differ than from what some of your friends were doing who were still in school? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I'd like to give a lot of credit to Scott too, because dude, I mean, being I contributed, I feel like very little in the beginning, because dude, I, I mean, for people who have gone through school, I mean, a full time mm-hmm. school schedule, also working part time, I mean, on top of that, also buying shit, it was mm-hmm. very stressful, right? Um, but comparing it to the other people who were in school, dude, I mean, all of my friends, um, you know, at the time, you know, they're out partying, they're out doing their thing in, in college, right? You know, they're showing up to class late, they're getting C's and, and, and you know, kind of stringing along. Um, it was hard. It was mm-hmm. kind of lonely, dude, because all my, you know, quote unquote friends at the time, nobody's doing, you know, yeah. what what I was doing, you know, in the professional sense with going out and and you know trying to apply some of the stuff at least i've learned Mm and um going out and and buying some properties and trying to grind so um definitely a little bit hard a little bit lonely because i mean your average Mm -hmm. and not even average college student average people our age in general Mm -hmm. whether they're going to college or not are not you know doing their homework looking and Mm -hmm. buying rental properties out of state so um you know, everybody always says entrepreneurship, you know, can be a very, very lonely journey and a lonely space to be in. And I think it's because not a lot of people have that, you know, mindset. Not a lot of people are in the space to go and do, you know, some of that cool shit. Um, so, 
Yeah, that, that's kind of how, how it was for me, at least at the time. Absolutely. And I feel like I've had a similar experience navigating owning businesses while in college. But we're going to unpack in this episode kind of the habits, the mindsets, and some of the skills that you need to learn so that you can be the the most well-rounded entrepreneur, whatever, in, in your profession. So, Scott, a question for you. In your current role, we're going to transition a little bit to talk about negotiations. Uh, in your current role, uh, how often do you negotiate? And can you tell me about a time you failed to reach an agreement during a negotiation? Yeah. Uh, negotiation, Chris Voss has a great line that everything in life is a negotiation. Absolutely. You know, if you're going to get up right now, is a negotiation <laughs> with yourself. Um from the standpoint of like talking to other people, I probably spend, I mean, we both probably spend three to four hours a day on the phone mm -hmm. with sellers negotiating. Um, you know, it's just, it's a way of life. If you're in real estate, you're constantly um, negotiating with a client to see if they want to work with you. Mm -hmm. You're negotiating with a seller if they want to sell you a house. You're negotiating with your spouse if I can, you know, go out to this appointment on a Saturday when we were supposed to be doing something else, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, for example, we just locked up a deal earlier this week uh, on Thursday uh, of last week, um, we had been talking to this seller for six months. We mm. got into the signing line three or four times, three or four different times. There were things that came up that made them rethink mm -hmm. what they wanted to do. Um, but last week I got a call Thursday. It was like 11 o'clock. Hey, we're signing with somebody else at 415 mm. unless you can beat that offer. Next thing I know, I spent four hours calling around, uh, ended up being able to rework the project in a way that was going to make it so mm -hmm. that we could come up a little bit. And then I had to spend the rest of the day talking to the seller, actually getting them to understand why they would want to work with me Absolutely. instead of somebody else. Absolutely. You know? And so it's it's a long process. Negotiation is really a skill set. Mm -hmm. Nobody's born super great at negotiating. Um, and so it's something you have to really educate and learn on. Absolutely. And uh, Cade, what are some ways that you're continuing to educate yourself on some of the skills of negotiation that better assist your business when working together? Dude, I mean, a big part of it is just being in the same proximity mm -hmm. of people who are doing the same thing, negotiating on a daily basis, right? Because um, especially with the two of us, if we know we have a call with a com or a call with a seller coming up, or a conversation or an appointment coming up, I mean, we'll role play that yep. one, two, three, four, five times over. Like, hey, here's the situation. What do you think about it? How should I approach this, right? So I think just being in proximity to the right people is one hundred percent. Um, you know, how we stay up to date and sharpen on our negotiating skills. Cause dude, I mean, you know, I, if you're not staying sharp on your negotiation skills, you know, an appointment can go south very, very quick. And your conversation with the seller can go south and kill a deal, mm -hmm. you know, like that. So, um, and I think like Scott mentioned, there's a book almost, we do almost the same thing. Um, pretty frequently, if we're on a way to an appointment and we've got a little bit of a drive, we will literally throw on that book mm -hmm. by Chris Voss, never split the dip, never split the difference, excuse me and listen to the audio version of that book as we're driving to the appointment, just because there's so many good refreshers and reminders in there. So I think just some best practices like that, um, you know, are kind of how we stay on top of, you know, our skills. Absolutely. And what you said about proximity uh, was really important because I know that given that me putting myself in places or rooms around people where they're having the important conversations or at least where I get to hear that conversation over and over. I remember just starting off in real estate, I'm making cold calls and it's about repetition, but also how many different conversations can I have, can I have or can I hear 
that makes it better for me when I'm talking with my own clients. And I don't think many people realize that or know know that starting off. And so they're doing they're not doing the right things or, or, or the appropriate things. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just busy work for a lot of people. So for young entrepreneurs starting off, I do think it's important that they find a sense of community and put themselves around people who are doing what they want to do. Yeah, I want to interject that like the human brain is one of the best things at discovering patterns. And so one of the things that you can't do is is understand what's going to come up next mm -hmm. unless you've done it thousands of times. And so, you know, like Cade and I at this point, when we role play those conversations, you know, your brain creates subliminal patterns on what how sellers respond. Yep. We've had more than a dozen conversations where we role play a really hard conversation and the seller verbatim says what we scripted in our script. And there's no way of saying that you can predict yeah. what oh. they said. But you know, by putting yourself with other guys who have done it, you can really like accelerate the speed at which you can um, handle really difficult conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what what is your? This is a question for both of you. What's your definition of negotiation success? What does a successful negotiation look like for both parties? Both parties walk away feeling like they gave something and mm -hmm. that they won something. Mm. That's what a success looks like. Absolutely. Can you give us an example of what of what that looks like? Um, in a real estate or business transaction. Yeah, uh, we'll do a real estate one. Kate and I won when we negotiated our partnership because we both felt like we were bringing skills to the table. That was what we gave. I gave the skill set of maybe having more real estate knowledge, like practical knowledge, and maybe a little bit more, um, you know, access to capital. Cade brought skill set in understanding how to function and create systems at a high level mm -hmm. and operate day to day. And we both conversely got the benefit of the other person's Absolutely. skill. So, you know, we walk in, we both know we're going to work hard, but we both know we have somebody else who's working hard. Absolutely. Kate, what about you? What's your definition of a successful negotiation? Yeah, definition is, and we even say it verbatim while we're negotiating with sellers, right? That the goal is to get to a win-win, mm -hmm. right? It's got to be a win for one party and it's got to be a win for the other party. So using again, you know, like a real estate example, right? A seller when they're selling their property, they've got to walk away feeling good about the transaction, who they're working with, the price they're getting, and the terms they're getting, right? But then also the other side of that coin, the investor's got to walk away knowing it's a win for them. They're getting a property at a steep enough discount to where they can flip it, wholesale it, do their thing, and turn around and also make a profit at the end of the day, right? So again, the value and the things that each person is bringing to the table, when it's a win-win, I think that's the definition of a su successful negotiation, Absolutely. when it's a win-win, win for both parties. Why Why is it important to understand the other side's needs during during a negotiation? Um, It's pretty simple. When you're negotiating, it's never you versus them. Mm -hmm. It's always you and them versus the problem. And so if you don't know where their great. headspace is, you know, it's it's hard for you to work with somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you come to the table and you don't know what the seller is dealing with and, you know, you're trying to just get them to sell you a house for a discount, it's hard for you to really be able to come up with a reasonable win-win compromise. You know, it's like if you go to a kid who's screaming and crying and, you know, you're trying to cheer them up, if you don't know what they want, you're never going to win. Mm -hmm. You're just going to offer them a whole bunch of stuff that they don't really care about. All you needed to do was find the one thing that they needed, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, that was good stuff. Sorry. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I find, uh, I find just even in the conversations that I have, whether that be with my girlfriend or with friends, a lot of people, they don't, they don't understand how to effectively communicate with the other party. So finding out the needs of the other party was never really a thought of theirs. Their whole, their whole thought is how can I get to how can I get to the benefit of me uh, and it's a win for me rather than thinking about the collective of the community or the party as a whole. Yeah. So I really do think it's important that people learn how to effectively communicate with others, with others and themselves as well, so they know how to ask the right questions when that time comes. But that, that was some good stuff well, right there. Like, I mean, I'd be telling you that it's a lie if you said that our business relationship's always been sunshine and roses. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Kate and I are in very different spots. We've done different things. And so, you know, even then, like, we've had to come to an understanding that, like, if you don't know what the other person in your partnership's doing, if you don't know how mm -hmm. they're feeling, like, you're not going to be able to operate a successful business. So, like, we dedicate time to learning even what each other mm -hmm. need and what we want, just like we would do with, like, a girlfriend or somebody Absolutely. else. Because whenever you have a relationship that has that much, you know, in uh, dependence on each other, you know, you need to be on the same page. Absolutely. I find that, especially being an entrepreneur, that a lot of people, they, they show interest in me or they show interest in you, but they're not showing the interest to get to know you as far as that working relationship to know if you guys will even work together. There's probably been plenty of people who have contacted you guys. Oh, let's work together. And you don't really know them. How, are you, how do you know if you guys are going to have a good working relationship? So I always try to nurture the relationship when, when people are asking me for something or when I'm asking them for something. How can I provide value to them that's mutually beneficial so we can have a long lasting working relationship? Mm -hmm. How do you guys how do you guys continue to nurture the relationship that you guys have with each other so that you guys can continue doing better business? I know for me, I'm operating a business for the first time with my brother. And one of my biggest fears is like, shit, I hope nothing goes wrong because this is my brother on the end of this. And yeah. so I really want to make sure we have each other's best interests. He's married. I'm single. How can we both continue to work together to move forward for a common goal? Yeah. Well, dude, it's like you said, um, I mean, we were friends before we were business partners, right? So there, there's still a relationship outside of, you know, just your normal business working relationship. So get totally getting, you know, the spot where you're coming from, right? Nobody, you know, wants to break the friendship and, and break the partnership, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got weekly meetings, like a little bit going a little more in depth of what Scott was talking about. We've got we weekly meetings, set time, set day, every week we sit down and the agenda is there, right? We're checking in on each other. We're checking in on each other's transactions. We're checking in on everything that we've got going on with the properties out there, right? And more importantly, going more on what Scott was saying, is checking in on how Absolutely. each other, uh, how we're feeling, what our situation is, what's gone well, what's not gone well um, this past week. So carving out that time every single week, mm -hmm and making sure that we're on the same page we know where the other person's at i mean that's the biggest thing be it, you know having that open and honest communication back and forth like whether it's a business partnership relationship friendship you know family brother sister mm -hmm. mom dad like that that's what you got to do right you've got to have that open and honest communication if if the relationship is going to succeed absolutely have you guys always been the type of people who have always been open and honest with people around them um, I'm, I like to say that I'm an oversharer. 
Uh, I would say you really don't. You're. I'm a little bit of an undershare. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Were just talking about this the other day. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Kate and I've had like different stretches in time where one of us needed to pull more weight than the other, mm-hmm. and like, you know, it, it was important that we understood that before we got into that working relationship. Mm-hmm. Like what you said, a lot of people who hit you up and want to work with you, they're all well intentioned, but mm-hmm. they don't realize that you know life happens to everybody, mm-hmm. and so there's been times when. You know, Cade needs help because he's doing something or he's got something going on in his personal life. And it's my responsibility to help pick up the slack in our business and to do what I can to help. And then conversely, like when I went and got married and when I went on my honeymoon, like I knew that the ship was running because mm-hmm. I had somebody who was looking out for me, who knew my business inside and out and who, you know, already knew kind of what was going to need to be done. And so like those those meetings are integral for us and like sharing what's going on in your personal life has played a huge part for us Absolutely. in making sure, you know, things go off as smoothly as they can. I was going to share it like with your relationship with your brother. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of urge you like just be careful about being worried about if something's going to mm-hmm. go wrong because something yep, is absolutely. inevitably going to go wrong. And, you know, like what Cade and I did when we got started was we, we tried to go through every worst case scenario mm-hmm. and we tried to say, okay, if this happened, what would we do? And then you try to get it all in writing and you try to make sure that each year you kind of touch on it and you say, okay, well, you know, if, if this were to happen, like, what would I do? What would, what would be the first step to get through it? Cause it's kind of an inevitability yep, that absolutely. something will happen. And you know, you guys are brothers. So it's, I mean, blood's thicker than water. So you absolutely. guys got to make it happen. Absolutely. And I think we're both on that same page of making shit happen. And that's what continues to, to drive our relationship. Switching gears a little bit, you guys have talked unpacked a lot in that first segment. But what I really heard were that you guys have some great habits surrounded uh, that make this relationship work. Uh, what's the difference between strategy and tactics? You would say, and which is more powerful? Is it more powerful to have a strategy versus some of the tactics that you use your your day to day? How do you guys approach you know your day to day business? Dude, it's similar. We had um, we had a little bit similar conversation between like goals and habits, mm-hmm. right? And just you know, kind of comparing that. Which one's better than the other? You know, which one should you focus on? And I think, um, you know, the better the better thing we should be asking ourselves is how can these things work together, right? How Ooh. do how do these two puzzle pieces fit to work in a way? that it's advancing you, right? So like goals and habits or strategy and tactics, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's a very free flowing relationship. How can one help the other Mm -hmm. to help me keep moving forward, right? So, um, you know, at least me personally, when I'm, you know, going on your question, which one's better strategy, tactics, you know, which one should you focus on? Which one's better than the other? I think keeping both in mind and seeing how does one strategy affect which tactics I'm going to use. And conversely, the tactics that I'm doing, what strategy can mm-hmm. I back backtrack and kind of attach that to? And how does that contribute to my goals and what I'm trying to achieve moving forward? So that's what I would say. Absolutely. Scott, question for you. When it comes to strategies or tactics or goals and habits, habits why do you think people still continue to make bad decisions? You're human. Mm. I think a lot of people make just bad decisions because making good decisions is hard. I mean, it takes a lot of um, time and effort. And like, for example, like us, we were moving quick when we bought some of these houses and we had to take a learning lesson. Um, I I wouldn't go back and undo what we Mm. did, uh, but I wish we had done some things differently. And, you know, you make bad decisions just because you're moving too quick. 
-hmm. but I'd rather to see a lot of people moving quick than nobody moving. Absolutely. Is there, is there a point where you're moving too quick or how do you know when you should slow down or if you should slow down? Man, if I knew that question, or if I knew that answer, (laughs) my life would be great. Um, I think for myself, and I can only speak for myself Mm -hmm. in this sense, I think you know when you're moving too quick, when the personal relationships in your life start to break down. You know, I think if, if you're unable to keep your faith, if you're unable to keep your relationship with your family, if you're unable to, you know... Do the things that kept you as a core identity. I think that's when you start, you've done too much, you've Mm. moved too quick. And I think as you're moving, it's important to kind of consider what you've done and where you're trying to go and see if you're still on the right path. You know, it's hard to get a ship to move and turn if you're not, or it's hard to get a ship to change direction if you're not moving. Mm But if you're going too fast, you're gonna miss your shot by too much. Absolutely, you know? it's a balance. You said you said something uh, in there in that last part. You said if you're moving too fast and your personal relationships are are starting to deteriorate, de- deteriorate, and uh, your faith is as well. Uh, what is the importance of faith in prayer in your business? Because I know we're all we're all spiritual people, faithful people. How has that impacted your business? I know for me, I've had times in my life where I feel like I'm moving too fast, and those personal relationships are falling apart. I'm going to the gym, le- uh, gym less, and my mind's all over the place. A lot of those times, as an entrepreneur, you know, you, it can get, it can be a lonely place. But the only thing that really brings you out of that dark hole is that faith that you have in some higher power, whether that's God or or whatever. But I feel like I really do believe that faith has pulled me out of a lot of tough situations or kept me moving forward, especially in business. Is that a similar similar for you guys as well? Dude, 100%. And even like you said, right? Right now is a period like we've been talking right Mm -hmm. now, at least for me, I'll talk about, you know, with me right now is one of those times, right? And it's really, really important Mm -hmm. to stay grounded with your faith, which can, you know, even become more difficult when you're going through those hard times, (laughs) right? And it's especially especially with me understanding like all of the imaginary weight I feel is on my shoulders. Mm. It's not on my shoulders, dude. Mm. It's on, it's on his right. And understanding that, you know, he's got a plan at, you know, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what difficulties I'm going through, no matter how slow my business may be going or no matter how fast my business Mm. may be going. Right. Um, you know, I felt if, the weight lifted off my shoulders when you said that right there. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's it's understanding that you know, hey, my path is get it's releasing all of that mm-hmm. and knowing that hey, having that open relationship, asking God, hey, please, you know, I pray that you lead me in the direction and the path that I'm supposed to be going on. I've got all of my faith in you. I release all control to you and it's staying grounded in that way, at least for me, especially when you do go through those difficult times mm-hmm. that really keeps you grounded. It's really the only thing that <laughs> that keeps you sane sometimes too, dude. So, um, you know, we could talk for hours and hours Absolutely. and it wouldn't cover, you know, how really important, at, I know for all of us that is and how important for me that is. Absolutely, so, thanks for talking, for speaking on that a little bit. Scott, do you wanna interject a little bit? Uh, yeah. Um, 
I think there's the second half on top of what he just said. The second half is that like our business and our industry specifically in real estate is very convoluted and Mm -hmm. complex. And I think um, I was talking to an agent yesterday who felt as if investors are thieves and liars and cheaters. Mm -hmm. And I think there are guys who do that. And I'm glad to say that I can look in the mirror and know that Mm -hmm. I bring a service to people who need it and that. At the end of the day, I keep my faith as paramount as I can, and I'm a, a sinner and I'm a failure in some ways in that sense, and that I've definitely fallen off that path, but uh, more than once or twice. But you know, it's keeping the ultimate goal in mind and knowing that you know everything that I do here on Earth plays a part in where I will go after and what I will leave as a legacy. And you know, I think it keeps us morally upright, doing the right Absolutely. thing. And Obviously, our businesses are doing, you know, well. And, and you know, I just, that deal that I got locked up on Thursday, they were like, hey, you know, we like that we could go look your name up. We found a podcast and, and there you are talking about what you do. And we, we couldn't find anybody talking trash mm-hmm. on you. And they were like, you know, that's that's a lot in the world of the internet where if you were screwing people, we would know. Absolutely. You know, and I, I said, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I can't make anybody work with me, but I can present options. And mm-hmm. I can also say that, you know, I work from a sense of I do what I say I'm going to do and I never go in, out of my way to lie about what I'm going to do. Right. Absolutely. So, Absolutely, man. Thank you guys for sharing that. Now, moving forward, um, I want to talk to you guys both about side hustles and second jobs for a bit. Uh I know around when people are starting off as entrepreneurs, a lot of people want to go all in. They want to dive in head first. And I think that's great. I know for me, my entrepreneurial journey is me getting started and but me also having to having responsibilities at home to where I couldn't I couldn't be fully invested. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand that that's okay as well. That you're always working for working towards you know a, achieving financial freedom or that time freedom that we're all looking for. Were there ever a time in both of your careers where you had to manage another job in real estate as well? You want to start? Sure. Um, I mean. Yeah, at the start of real estate, I, I found some success. And then, you know, I, I was also very successful at spending my money. And I had to go get a second <laughs> job in the restaurant industry, which I had some experience in. And I've shared this on other podcasts, but I actually broke up with my wife at one point when we were just dating because I was spending so much time having to work at real estate, knowing that I either was going to make it or lose it in mm-hmm. that moment. And also work in the restaurant business at night. And, you know, it's grueling, it's hard. I really hope I never have to go back, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of people, like you said, who have responsibilities. And you know, when you're an adult, there's a you know, there's a rent to pay or a mortgage Absolutely. to pay. You got to feed yourself. You got to make sure you take care of yourself. And I think, you know, there's a stigma that Kate and I have talked about before that, you know, somehow being responsible and getting a second job is somehow a fail. Yep. But I think you know anybody in this room who knows people are side hustling, like, dude. That's you taking on ownership about what you have to do and what you have to get done. Absolutely. And, you know, we respect that personally. Absolutely. Dude, I feel like you're the king. We should be interviewing uh, you on this topic, dude. But um, no, kind of building on what Scott was saying. I mean, the biggest thing is breaking down that stigma, mm-hmm. right? And and it can be very hard because we can say it all we want. Other people can say it all, all they want. But when you're in that position of needing or in a side hustle or out in the restaurant industry, you know, making ends meet while, you know, your day job is trying to grind and mm-hmm. build your freaking business, dude, it it doesn't feel good. Having been in that spot, mm-hmm. you know, multiple times, you know, having jobs like that happen, um, 
But I think people need to one, break down that stigma and two, just kind of break down that pride, dude, because the, the epitome of an entrepreneur, the epitome of somebody who's grinding and building their business is hard work, consistency, doing what's what needs to be done and sacrificing, right? And so you've got bills to pay, you know, what what's what's cooler dude going and make sure making sure all your bills are paid you know like scott had mentioned and you know experiences i've gone through where maybe it's a night job where you're going and serving and and doing that you know what's the alternative dude you're you know you're not paying your bills all of your relationships are shattered because you know you you're not making ends meet when you could go people and like dude let down your pride. Go Absolutely. be the epitome of what an entrepreneur is mm-hmm. and go fucking grind, dude. Go pay your bills, you know, taking care of this in, in the afternoons and the evenings and during the day, stay focused on the goal. Absolutely. So, um, you know, no matter how far along, you know, people are in their journey, like like Scott had said, I, you know, similar situation for me, even if you see early success and then, you know, a really big dead spot happens or a really low point mm-hmm. happens, Dude, whatever it takes, absolutely, go, go and do it. There's nothing wrong with the side hustle. There's nothing wrong with going up and picking up that second job while you know you're trying to achieve that goal of being a successful entrepreneur or a business owner. Absolutely, and I think part of that stigma is is ego, ego like personal ego, ego from friends. Oh man, you shouldn't you shouldn't do this. Just grind a little bit harder. No, I, I always tell friends and family do whatever is best for your situation. At one, but yeah, I I will say I am pretty good at side hustles. But I also know where my time is. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm also very diligent with my time, but I'm also that kind of person that does whatever the hell it takes. You know, I got a family, I got a family at home, really small family, but a family at home that depends on my brother and I. So every day when we wake up, doing those doing the little habits they're not a challenge for me because they it's what needs to be done so i can wake up and break down that ego and just go to work at one point i was especially early on in real estate selling real estate working at amazon use the money that i i made at amazon to go start my business still selling real estate at that time i started the water slide rental business i would i would wake up at six o'clock in the morning load the trailer the truck and trailer for the water slides be done by 12 from one to five it was showing houses whatever appointment i can get between one to five it was showing houses and then when it came to nighttime i was bartending i was bartending hanging out so that was the daily routine for a year and a half two years all while in my own head i'm knowing what i have to do come home putting those extra hours to build the life in the future that i want and it's not necessarily that the side hustles the side hustle does not need to become your main hustle. You can have a side hustle that that cash flows and helps that that helps your main business continue to thrive and flourish. And I think a lot of the times when people get that second job or side hustle, they're thinking, "How can this make me a millionaire?" I'm thinking in my head, "How can I continue to grow this business for for one, so I can sell this damn thing, or for two, it can cash flow me enough to where I'm still spending minimal time." to where I can reinvest that money back into my real estate business, back into my podcast, so I can continue doing the things to grow. But like I said, part of that, I didn't always understand that. But when I did, I realized I I had a huge ass ego that I really needed to let go so I can continue moving forward with my business. Definitely, so thank you guys for sharing that. Dude, and I'll chime in real quick too. I think um, 
probably one of the even bigger parts of that is, you know, just the emotions that come with it, mm-hmm. right? Because I think, you know, with, um, you know, a second job specifically, right? We've got, you know, when you're an entrepreneur or trying to build your business, or we'll, we'll talk about the real estate space we're in, right? A lot of us aren't surrounded by those like-minded mm-hmm. people, right? Whether it was the family we were raised in or, you know, our original group of friends, right? The entrepreneurial mindset is, you know, very, very different than the normal person's mindset, right? So I think it can almost be be a feeling of embarrassment, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have all of these Absolutely. other people who aren't doing what you wanna be doing, having their opinion and telling you, you know, what they think, right? That somehow because you have a second job or because you're doing all these other side hustles that you one, either are not or will not be successful mm-hmm. in real estate or whatever aspect you're going in. And I think you've got to, and it's again, surrounding yourself with the right people, um, you know, putting down that pride, putting down that feeling of embarrassment and go listen to the people who are doing what you wanna be doing because I guarantee you all of those, you know, the majority of those success, successful entrepreneurs or people in your space, They've gone through if the exact same, if not very mm-hmm. similar things, right? And you don't want to be listening to the crowd of everybody, you know, who's not doing what you want to be doing and not going through what you're going through. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And on, on top of that, so I could talk about this forever. People don't really know the the new skills that they can learn and apply towards their main business when they start something new. I've learned Dude. so much. <laughs> I've learned so much about being an entrepreneur in general, the skills that I've learned starting other businesses have helped me just spur my real estate business. There, there are skills that I wouldn't have learned without facing those challenges, you know, at that second job or in that other business. So I think people aren't thinking about the learning, the learning uh, that they're going to receive as well when starting new things. Scott, you look like you want to say something. No, I was just <laughs> dude. Well, and I'll say another thing. Shut me up if I'm talking too much, but dude. I'll use an example, and we've talked about it before on a couple podcasts too, is exactly like you said, stuff that carries over. And I'll use an example of, you know, when I'm in the restaurant industry is, you know, when I'm out busting tables and cleaning tables, right? I'm making sure I cover every single inch of that Mm -hmm. table when I'm cleaning it off, right? Like super anal, super OCD about it, right? The attention to detail is there. Like when I'm going in, you know, I'm telling myself, you know, I, I'm going to be the best server this restaurant's ever seen. I'm going to be the best server on this shift and I'm going to come into my next shift and I'm going to do it again. Right. And that attention to detail, 1000%, whether it's consciously or unconsciously will carry over into your main Absolutely. business or in all other aspects of your life. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's super important point. Absolutely. Scott, you had you had mentioned earlier, uh, I think we all might have had a similar experience when you get when you receive your first few paychecks for real estate. That money was going fast for me. Yeah, I, I, I went to Vegas, took the boys. It was it was awesome. But no, I'm serious. I took the boys to Vegas. And we had a great time. I thought I was the, on the king of the world. I thought I was going to sell 100 million in real estate. Sold three houses, I believe. But uh, can you explain the entrepreneurial journey? versus uh, the entrepreneurial journey and business funds versus personal funds. Because I know even for me, that's something that I still struggle with is is separating the two. Like how as an entrepreneur, can you have better control over business versus what's personal? I'll, I'll share my opinion because you asked me, but this is a Cade, <laughs> this is a Cade question. Um, 
my business changed significantly when I set up my S corporation in 2020, mm-hmm. where everything was designated in bank accounts mm-hmm. named Faro Real Estate Inc. And Scott Faro had his own bank accounts. Prior to that, I was buying golf clubs, even though I sucked at golf. I bought everything <laughs> under the sun. I've done everything with that money, except put it back in my mm-hmm. business. The second I was able to delineate that this was business money and that I'm an employee of the business, Absolutely. that's when life really changed. Um, and it got even better when my business had enough reserves and I've sacrificed enough and I'd worked hard enough to get enough money where I could put myself on salary and give myself what I would consider a livable wage. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was like 1500 bucks. So every month, regardless of if I had a great month or I had the worst month of my life, it was 1500. Mm -hmm. And that 1500 was enough to pay my bills. And I, anybody who looks at me probably thinks that I am fairly reasonable with my cash. I, you know, I wear the same pair of four pairs of pants and I mix them up with like, I have like six or seven different shirts. And I, you know, don't really do anything super lavish. The biggest thing I always get bullied for is that I get Starbucks every day. <laughs> so my big expense, my lavish lifestyle is, is uh, uh, coffee every morning. And that was when like I started having that discipline and I started putting mm-hmm. the money back into, uh, you know, the things that I was or that were making me money. Mm-hmm. I was able to then hire out people, built out a team, that kind of a thing. And, you know, it's been stressful. It's really hard. Kate and I have had moments where we've had to, you know, cut checks for like twenty five thousand dollars, and um, you know that's that's never a good feeling. But it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to do that when you don't feel like it's coming out of the thing that's going to feed my Absolutely. family. You know, Absolutely. so that that's really key. And I think until you're there, it's definitely a hard part of the journey. Mm-hmm. But once you summit that financial hill, having the separation is really helpful. Absolutely, Kate. You want to interject on that? Yeah, you had asked um, a question earlier and Scott had a really, really good answer. Like what is, you know, one of the most overlooked things or important Mm -hmm. things, you know, for, you know, entrepreneurs and people our age. And Scott had said mental health, which is really, really huge. Um, The thing I would say is financial literacy, Mm. dude. Like like Scott was saying, the moment too many people are spending money they don't have Mm -hmm. or they're spending money they're banking on that may never come. Right. And being able to have the financial discipline and, you know, to say, these are my personal funds. This is my business and this is how my business operates. And this is how, you know, I operate as an individual. I mean, Scott explained it the best. You know, I won't repeat it, but, you know, having the business and having Mm -hmm. the individual two completely different things and you've got to run the two, you know, uh, to each their own. Right. But you know, financial literacy and being able to have financial discipline, I think, is very, very big. Absolutely. I well, I was going to add one more thing. I, I can't quite remember what it was. You had brought up um, financial literacy. I had somebody tell me when I was younger, uh, like right at the start of the business, I don't remember who it was, but I'm going to probably misquote it that it was Jason. But somebody told me, like, in our industry, you have to understand that $100,000 is not a lot of money mm-hmm. and $100 is a lot of money. And it didn't really make sense. And the older I've gotten, I'm like, how do I get to the understanding that I can't think so small as to think that 100000 is too much money to make mm-hmm. or it's too hard to invest that money. But at the same time, every $100 that I spend matters. Man. So I better be making more money with that money or sacrificing in a way that's worth it or you'll drain yourself off every 100 bucks you spend. Absolutely. Somebody, I think it was Alex Ramosi who who 
puts who put the exact hour amount uh, or the exact amount that it takes to spend a hundred dollars or something. So it takes five hours at work for someone to make a hundred dollars. So that's how I value my time is if I'm spending money, how much time is it going to take me to make this thing back? And I feel like a lot of people who have, who are, who are not entrepreneurs or, or who have, you know, regular jobs aren't thinking like that. They're, they're getting paid. They're going to the mall. They're going out to dinner. I, I'm cheap, man. I, I like to know where my money is, where I'm spending it, because I have a plan. I have a plan for everything that I'm doing. So, but I, I didn't always have a plan. Uh, in order for me to develop that mindset, I literally, like I told you guys, was working at nightlife. I took myself away from that whole environment because personally, I wasn't doing well, and then it was reflecting in my business. So, just removing myself out of that environment to where I can just sit and focus on the business has been has made my business even better. It's made me more aware of what was going on. But transitioning uh, on, Scott, I think it was you uh, in an episode of your podcast that I listened to, you said, if you let poor performance become the new standard, this is a very dangerous thing. Why is that a very dangerous thing? Why is poor performance a a dangerous thing? Yeah, uh, I bet you're talking about extreme ownership Mm -hmm. book review. And the thought process is that like, if you're a CEO or if you're the owner or the, the team leader, or if you have any sort of power over a group of people, if there is any team member that's underperforming, if you let that slide, you're now setting the example that that's acceptable. And mm-hmm. so like, that's when you asked earlier about like, you know, we feed off each other and like we get in early, like we give each other crap if we don't get in the office early. Like I'll call him up and just be like, yo, where are you at? Like if I have not heard where he was gonna be that morning, like the second I'm in there, if he's not there, it's like there's a text that goes out. Um, the other day I, I showed up to the office, Kate had beat me there and I was a little embarrassed because I live two minutes away and he lives <laughs> super far. And I was like, oh, you see all my stuff here. I, I you know, I popped in here at 1 a.m. I hit a quick five hour grind, headed home so you could feel good about beating me in today. But, you know, if you start letting poor performance show through, I mean, it's really easy to regress in this Absolutely. you know world and it's a lot harder to you know progress. Absolutely. How kid, uh, how can someone listening begin to take extreme ownership over their own life? Dude, it's going back and we've said it a few times. You got to let you got to look at yourself in the mirror and, and put your pride and ego. Leave them at the door, mm-hmm. dude, because, you know, <sighs> Taking extreme ownership, you know, means you're taking responsibility for ev- everything good mm-hmm. and bad that's happening, you know, in your life, in your business, in your relationships, right? And not finding external things to put the blame on, right? And I think it's, you know, nobody can force you to do it. People can tell you to do it over and over and over. But, you know, until you're at a spot, where you know it may be the lowest of lows and you're finally ready to look Mm -hmm. yourself in the mirror and leave you know the ego at the door is you know you've just got to start taking responsibility both for successes and failures and tracing that as to why why am i failing in my relationship why is this part of my business failing why is you know this part of my business doing really really well why is my relationship, you know, the best it's ever been, mm-hmm. right? Being able to trace that back and take ownership as to, you know, what have I been doing? You know, what if, what are the activities I've been doing? How consistent have I, have I been in X, Y, and Z? But being able to take responsibility for everything that's going on. Um, and like I said, you know, 
each person will will do that when they are ready. Absolutely. You know, you can have everybody, mentors, um, you know, family, friends, spouses tell you you've got to do it. But until, you know, you yourself are ready to do it, you've got to start taking responsibility. I want to follow up on mm-hmm. that because I think there's going to be some people who are analytical who think like, well, why would I take responsibility for things that I'm not responsible mm-hmm. for? In the book, which we gave kind of a poor review, but in the book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, uh, it talks about the difference between fault and responsibility. And fault is people who get stuck in the fault situation. They often blame somebody else. They say, Mm -hmm. well, you know, this happened. That's why I didn't get this deal. Or this happened, this happened, that happened. Taking responsibility is taking from this point on, right? Moving forward with what's going on. So like, for example, if, if your business isn't working, yes, the market might've changed a little, but how am I gonna take the responsibility and make the adjustments needed to make it happen? Absolutely. Or if my relationship's crumbling, who knows why? It could be the other person's not doing something, but you can't do that. You have to focus on what can I do to, t- to now take the responsibility of building this back up and moving forward. Absolutely, that was, that was some great stuff. Uh, what happens to a person once they do take extreme ownership uh, of their circumstances, of their life? You know, what's on the other side of, t- of taking ownership? Do you, uh, I mean, it's a good question. And I don't know, you know, people listening, if, you know, the, the grass is somehow greener and there's all this money, you, you know, it's, you know, after that changes, you may not notice really anything mm-hmm. incremental, you know, or anything, you know, immediate changing, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the incremental progress that's going to come from that, right? It's the personal growth that's going to come for that. You know, at least for me, that's my opinion. You know, there's not going to, there may not be, you know, no sudden shift, Mm -hmm. you know, flip of the switch where everything is so much better. Right. But being able to look and understand, you know, why is this happening? How is it happening? What can I do now to improve those circumstances or acknowledge why those circumstances are really, really good? And how can I keep doing what I'm doing? It's the incremental growth and the incremental change that's going to come from that. I think there is one other thing that you'll notice is that like you stop leaving crumbs behind. Like mm-hmm. uh, Matthew McConaughey, I think is who said that term at like a, like some, I think it was University of Houston commencement speech. The idea is that like, you know, you aren't going to be sitting in that row, turn around and, and see somebody that you owe money to, right? If you took extreme ownership, you paid him back. It might've been hard, but you did. You yeah, know, if, if you didn't hit the gym, um, you know, if you're leaving crumbs behind, now you have that guilt that you didn't hit mm-hmm. the gym. Your body is going to start failing on you. When you take extreme ownership, you start putting in ROI, right? You're mm-hmm. investing into your future. And now all of a sudden that guy you paid back, you can go and give him a hug because you know that you paid him back mm-hmm. and that friendship continues, right? So the extreme ownership, you leave less things, you leave less loose ends would probably Absolutely. be the right way of saying it. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, one of the last questions here. How does discipline equal freedom or how can discipline correlate to to freedom? Look at a homeless guy. He's got the most freedom in the world, but it's not true freedom. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the guy who, you know, takes care of his body, takes care of his family's money, takes care of his house. He's working all the time doing something. He's disciplined about getting to where he wants to go. But at the end of the day, he's got ultimate freedom that everything's going right and that life's going good, Mm -hmm. right? You know, the guy who has the least discipline might look like he's free, but he's got a lot of stuff hanging over him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Cade, I just want to to address something that you said. You had mentioned in one of your episodes, you said leadership is not a title, it is who you impact. And for me, that that hits really, uh, hits home for me because 
a lot of a lot of people don't know a lot of leaders don't know the impact that they have on others and so for me i take pride on impacting others and i believe that you guys do as well from the content that you guys put out to the from making you guys yourselves a resource so just wanted to point that out uh can you elaborate on that a bit uh leadership is not a title it is who you impact how as a leader can you focus on impacting more people than the results of you know social media or or the glamour that comes with that yeah dude i think um you know and i'll repeat it you said it twice you know leadership it's not a title it's who you impact and i think that comes down to you know what you're doing, what we're mm-hmm. doing, right? None of us would be in the spot we are unless another leader or another mentor mm-hmm. or another person provided value and was that leader for us, right? And impacting our lives in a way that was really, really positive. And so, you know, I don't, I, I think it's better to come to a place, come from a place, which is, you know, all of us. And and the goal of our podcast, the goal of, you know, how I try to carry myself is how can I provide value to other people without ever expecting anything Absolutely. back, right? Because, you know, like I said, we would not be in the spot we are if we didn't have two really, really awesome, um, you know, real estate mentors that helped us. And, and I contribute, you know, all of, are you know small success we've seen too right so being able to you know carry yourself in a way where you know everybody has something to contribute right whether you think of it your or not whether um you know your self-esteem is is there or not everybody has something to contribute and so being able to provide value without expecting anything back mm. And being able to carry yourself in that way, I think, is you know one of the true definitions of a leader and impacting people in a positive way. Absolutely, that's some solid advice. Uh, anything else that you both would like to add uh, be, to our listeners? For our listeners, um, I think right now more than ever, if you're dealing with maybe some changes in the business or changes in your life, take extreme ownership. Look inward on how you can improve it. And uh, probably the best advice that I can say is dive deeper into your faith and understand Absolutely. that a lot of what happens in life is here for a reason. So look for what you can learn from it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you <laughs> hit the main things I was going to say. Double down on your consistency. Um, you know, double down on your faith, right? Especially the lowest of lows and the highest of highs, or even if you're somewhere in the middle, right? That should always... Um, you know, at, at least if you are, you know, a faithful person mm-hmm. that should always be, you know, your home base, it should always be your rock of, you know, what, what's guiding you and what's, you know, holding you grounded in this business. So, um, and the last thing surrounding yourself with people who are, who are doing what you want to be doing and surrounding yourself with people who are optimistic, finding solutions, mm-hmm. finding ways to succeed and, you know, compared to surrounding yourself with people who are not taking extreme ownership and who are putting blame on other people and who are super pessimistic, right? Because you're either going to go up with with the people, you know, who are taking that extreme ownership and figuring out ways to succeed, or you're going to find yourself stuck in the mud with the people who aren't. Absolutely. If listeners want to get in touch with you both, what are the easiest ways for them to do so? I'd recommend that you follow uh, us on Instagram or on social media. I'm uh, S Faro at uh, zero one one. 
Yeah, I'm at Cade Barrett, C-A-D-E-B-E-R-R-E-T-T. And then our podcast is also plastered everywhere. Um, The Pursuit of Property podcast, video on YouTube, audio everywhere else, um, also on IG too. So all really, really great ways to reach out to us. Absolutely. I wanted to take a moment to to thank you both again for being here and being a guest on the show. I really appreciate both of you guys' time and it was definitely an honor. I look forward to doing it again. No, thank thank you, you, bro. Dude, appreciate you having us on. Thanks for watching today's episode. Make sure you like this video so more people can see more of this content. Subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us on Instagram at the Realtor KD. And we'll see you again next time.